Well, my favorite line was when the Gestapo guy says he's in Jojo's room and it's full of Hitler memorabilia. And he says, if only all of our young men had your blind fanaticism. (laughs) (laughs) The moral of the story, the podcast where a writer, a philosopher, and a filmmaker explore the stories that make us and the morality that makes the story. The line about Winston Churchill was probably the biggest laugh line for me because I'm a Winston Churchill fan and Hitler, you know, says like, oh, I'll burn it down and blame it on Winston Churchill or something. You know, <laughs> that he's going to do something horrible. That, I thought that was hilarious. The, the thing that's funny about this movie is it is incredibly funny. The thing that's funny know. about this funny movie is <laughs> <laughs> is that it is funny in the first place. Yeah. No, well, and it is, but it uses you know, like very slapstick humor you know, almost to the point, but it's one of those movies that makes you guilty about the fact that you think it's funny. Well, and that's, and they're doing it on purpose to you. Right. Yeah. And that's where I think, well, first of all, the movie is amazing. It's an amazing piece of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And, and I think we were discussing this earlier. I would say it definitely is the best picture of the year that I've seen. You know, we're always saying, you know, why aren't there more original films? Yeah. You know, why aren't there more creative concepts? And this is definitely a totally original creative concept that, um, and everything about the movie. I mean, the, the dresses and the garb, like the historical recreations Mm -hmm. were, it all looked fantastic. Yeah. It looked fantastic. And it's a lot of it you've never seen before, at least in the way it was presented and the colors and Mm -hmm. the, the, um, how do you say the name of the director? Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. He's a great director. I mean, the way he uses the camera, I was just continually Mm -hmm. intrigued. I wasn't like some directors you're watching them, move right. the camera yeah and this i never got to watch him move the camera but i felt him yeah. i felt how he was doing interesting things which is an interesting yeah. middle ground and, and i read a, a quite a bit and, and watched a, a fair amount about how he said it was the most awkward embarrassing thing he's ever done was to direct this movie dressed as hitler <laughs> oh really because <laughs> he yeah. plays for people yeah. that haven't seen it so this film is a parody telling the story which is actually a true story about the children arm the uh, children soldiers who fought in world war ii for germany yeah the hitler um, youth the hitler yeah. youth movement and and who they were and it tells which, this story as a satire yeah there's not really any movies about that that i've seen you know I've it's never, always about yeah, the Americans or the German, but like was, this, uh, this is was something that, that was old? really going on mm-hmm. that yeah. I've never really seen like this before. Well, and that to me is the, the this this whole film actually raises in a lot of ways just questions about humor, right? Um, so humor can be used in all sorts of ways. Obviously, it's, and it's actually a really mysterious thing. Like mm-hmm. why why are things funny? But um, but if you think about the way humor can be used, like you have the idea that humor can be used to belittle things, right? Like it's a weapon. So people make fun of Donald Trump because they want Trump to be somehow less Mm -hmm. than he is or something. But then you have other people who think that humor um, elevates things, right? right? That it makes them more tame and lovable. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I had a lot of conflicting emotions watching the movie because like the Hitler, the fantasy Hitler, who's his imaginary best friend, right. um, Jojo's imaginary best friend. 
that Hitler is just hilarious. Yeah. I mean, he says the most outrageous things. Right. He's like, like there's a scene where he's swimming (laughs) with these kids. Like um, he's invisible. He's invisible. So it's all, but it's all very whimsical and just ridiculous. But you don't know, is this like Charlie Chaplin? Right. Pretending to be Hitler and mocking Mm -hmm. him and belittling him, which I think is what the movie is hoping for. Like at Mm -hmm. the end when he, when the spoiler alert, Jojo, is actually a good kid and becomes good at the end. When he finally, you know, kicks, literally kicks Hitler out of his imagination, mm-hmm. you're supposed to go like, yeah, yeah, you know, Jojo turned good and he right. got back at Hitler. But there's another way of reading it, which is that Hitler, who's this monster that everybody fears and sees in, you know, old newsreels from the 40s, is suddenly this charismatic, I won't say lovable, but yeah. but like a he's played in as in, a in an, almost or, an innocuous he's certainly well, not threatening. Right? I see like, it from um, a storytelling perspective. I see kind of the the balance they were trying to hit is that your Hitler is both saying things that Hitler really did say, mm-hmm. but he's also saying them in the imagination imaginary mind of a child, right? Right, and so all of those things that are really terrible things and horrible become kind of cartooned become a cartoon version of the real thing because it's this 10 year old's mind right imagining hitler telling him these things mm-hmm. um and so they're they're trying to find a balance between portraying what is hitler like in the imagination of a 10 year old nazi kid right whereas we're looking at it like well how does this pair up against the historical Hitler. Right. Right. And those are really two different things. And there are moments in the film where the historical Hitler kind of invades Jojo's fantasy world. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, the, there's a scene where he and his mother come upon corpses that have been hung. They're just hanging in the public square. Mm -hmm. And even the way it's shot, it's this shock. You've been living in this Wes Anderson style fantasy land. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, yeah, you see these hanging corpses, yeah. <clears throat> and the movie does that a lot, where it kind of shocks you into, quote, reality. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There are other parts of the movie that you almost feel like you can't take seriously in a like in a dramatic sense at all. I don't know if y'all felt well, that. Like the, like the, the opening that, sequence with them at camp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, all, that seemed almost like an SNL skit. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it is real. Like, and, and that would be a good question, actually. Like, how real was it? Right. Well, I think in a way they were trying to show you in a comedic way how real that actually was. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, you know, as us Americans, when we think Hitler, we think literally top three most evil people to have ever lived. Mm-hmm. Like, that is how we envision him. But if you think about it, for the German people at that point in time, they he really was a, a kind of savior to them. He was a god. He was a yeah. god to them. Yeah. He was charismatic. He mm-hmm. was likable. Everyone liked him. You know, he was he was something to aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't the the evil, pure evil that we see him as. Right. So it's not incredibly outrageous to think that's how a ten year old boy. Uh-huh. Who aspired to be a soldier in the army of the you know, of Germany to serve the fatherland? Like mm-hmm. that's not incredibly outrageous to think that that's probably how they viewed him, and it, they were trying to do it through the lens of a comedic um, adolescent mind. Because mm-hmm. obviously, yes, the Hitler is very charismatic as his imaginary friend, but he also does and says and says things that 
the real Hitler would have never done because it's it's fed through the mind of a 10-year-old. Like, you know, right. it's very childish in some ways. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, it's very true in the sense that he was he was a snake. He was deceiving people mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. like him mm-hmm. so they would follow him. But, you know, I think in a sense, you know, it was very accurate. Yeah. As to what they were they were trying to communicate in in the the brainwashing of what of the the youth of, of Germany. Now I'm going to throw a little bomb out there. <laughs> so many in the movie. Um, no, I mean you have to understand if you haven't seen this movie, then the first ten minutes, this main kid, uh, you know, is being been shamed to the camp because he won't kill this bunny, this rabbit. That's how he gets his name, Jojo Rabbit. And uh, he like decides he's going to be a hero, and he runs and steals this grenade and throws it, and it bounces off a tree and blows him blows himself up, <laughs> you know. And obviously, he doesn't die. He just like gets minor scar wounds to his face, you know. And it, that's sort of so you you they immediately put you in this kind of fantasy world of you know the reality of Nazi violence and all right. these things. But um, I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a minute and say is this movie actually a comedy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to question that because mm-hmm. I don't know that actually from a, if you go back to like Aristotelian poetics, I don't know this movie actually is a comedy. Well, if you're bringing in Aristotle, isn't his definition of a comedy? Well, classically it always ends with the wedding, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's about th- unity, like things coming together in a unity. Mm-hmm. And, I think it would be a comedy, right? Because like the ending is right. literally the guy and the girl dancing, yeah, yeah, in like a unified future, right? In a way, I mean, you could look you look at it that way, but on the whole, I mean, the movie is very funny, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you look at you know his father and mother either disappearing, his mother dying, mm-hmm. right? Um, everything else, I don't know that. I mean, his other friend gets killed the friendly officer, you know, who saves him and the girl mm-hmm. gets killed. Um, he and the girl survive. Well, but like it's, yeah. it's a strange, it's, it's like they kind of pass it off as a funny movie as a right. comedy. So you feel like I'm watching a comedy. Right. Yeah. I, again, but the way I perceive it is that they, you know, Taika, the director was trying to introduce a new way to tell a story like this because this is not a very palatable story. Well, no, that's what if, I thought. If you, leaving, if you like stripped you away the comedy of this, it would be incredibly dark, incredibly sad. Right. Incredibly, it would be, it, it, no one would want to watch it. It'd be as bad as Schindler's List. Right. It, it's know, just an, it's a, and and in some sense, it still is. Oh, it like is. When his mother, yeah. like, it, what blew my mind about this movie and thinking back toward history is that even this incredibly entertaining, incredibly funny movie was still incredibly dark and sad Mm -hmm. because of the real historic setting in which it was taking place. Mm -hmm. Like the Holocaust in World War II was such a evil, traumatic event in history that even this hilarious, Mm -hmm. brilliant movie is, is pulled down by it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I really do think that they were trying to introduce a new way to be able to tell some of these stories that were more palatable so that the story could be, shared mm-hmm. but in a way that wasn't going to i mean because here's the i've seen schindler's list one time i don't know that i will ever like watch that movie again right yeah. it's not you, know, you it's, don't watch it for entertainment no yeah it's, no it's not because it's like it's such thing. a heavy dark movie mm-hmm. 
you watch it and you're crying and you're like, wow, but I don't have any desire to watch that again. Right. You know what I mean? Well, and I think I agree with you because I think the story of 10 and 11 and 12 year old boys Mm -hmm. going to war and dying in droves is, it's just, I mean, that's incredibly dark. Well, and okay. So let me play devil's advocate. So should we should we want to watch Holocaust movies for quote entertainment? I know, like, I'm not saying that that's what you're saying, but no, like, no, no, yeah, but yeah, like, good like, should because this. because to me, there's sort of different ways of thinking about humor. You kind of have the the camp that says certain things should never be laughed at ever. Right. Well, even scripture says that don't make light, right. you know, don't make a, light, a light of sacred of, of exactly. sacred things, right? right? Mm-hmm. And I think so. You would say sacred things, mm-hmm. you know, you definitely should not laugh at. Um, even though even that is hard, it's a hard line to draw because you you know, all of us have laughed at like church humor, right? right? Mm-hmm. Oddities of people in church and whatever. Mm-hmm. All sorts of people laugh at that. At some point it becomes sacrilegious. Sacrilegious. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So there's so there's a line in there somewhere. But then you have things that aren't sacred in the sense like they're in a church, but they're sacred in kind of a I don't Time. know, like a natural sense. Yeah. Like it's this is just so heavy, like right. you know, nobody would ever make fun of Auschwitz. Don't right? speak ill of don't speak ill of the dead. Don't speak Basically. ill of the dead. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so with this movie, it does kind of play close to the edge it of does, things yeah. that mm-hmm. you would normally think would be in that category. Right now, there's another school of thought. Right, I don't. I'm not necessarily part of this school of thought, but it's the school of thought that everything is in humor. Right, and this is like yeah. I've heard this from. Uh, you know, if you listen to Hollywood liberals or late night comedians, yeah, there are people who think of religion or humor almost as a religion, right? Mm-hmm. And that everything should be laughed at, and that if it's laughed at, somehow it's contained, right? Right. Yeah. So the things that you take seriously become more and more powerful, mm-hmm. and being able to laugh at Saddam Hussein, being right. able to laugh at Kim Jong Un being able to laugh at Hitler, it's a way of diminishing right. their power. Right. Well, let's talk about that because that, with what you were saying earlier and my, my comment about like, is this really comedy? In the broad sense, yes. But when you look at like types of humor in drama or in uh, literature, like what you're talking about in like belittling something through comedy or through using humor as a tool would really be like mockery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mocking is like maybe how you classify that. Right. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we have things like bathos, which is the antithesis of pathos, you know, and bathos is like my favorite example is the princess bride. When they come up and you see the, the Bishop or whoever it is, the priest, the priest <laughs> come at the marriage and he walks Say up in this Alex. huge tiara and he goes, Mama, Mama, that's what brings us together today. I think that's one of the you know? most quoted movie lines. <laughs> yeah, the whole it is. Time. Right, and it's the and greatest. Example everybody you think la- it's going to be this big yep. moment. And everybody laughs at that. Nobody says, "Oh, look, they're mocking right. clergymen." Right. Well, and it, and it's honestly because I and I I think and that that sacred question really you have to say like, are we making fun of people or God? Right, right. Whereas, like, I, I feel like the one time I saw Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I don't like that movie. Yeah, I don't that like movie to me crosses way over the boundary of sacrilege. Oh yeah, and like profanity. The yeah, the scene where the scene where God. I mean, I remember when I saw it, I just was I I, I couldn't hardly breathe because there's the scene where God right, the Father comes where down. God comes yeah, in and right. he's like. 
I'm so tired of having to forgive all of you. Or it's like it's it's like a total mockery. It's really yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, you have so bathos is where you have an expectation of um, something weighty and meaningful, and then they you know somebody falls down while they walk down the wedding aisle or something. You know, that's an yeah. example of bathos, right? Um, and you have things like slapstick humor, you know, like physical humor. This had a lot of physical slapstick yeah. humor. But at the same time, then, they use the humor to kind of set you up for when you actually see the shoes of his mother right. in the gallows. Yeah. And, and you realize drop. Like, that you go was a really here heavy to down drop. Here and, and they're like, yeah. yeah, and they're using the humor to just, like, spear you. Right. Because you're laughing at this stuff that's and they funny. Pull it out of nowhere, and they pull yeah. a rug out from under you. I, I, something that's I, I truly was 100% tragic. Not expecting that. Yeah. I, yeah. I had no walking into that movie and even seeing all the scenes with her. I would have never ever thought that that would have happened. And yeah. when it did, it was just like, whoa. Mm. Well, and there's and that's where I think the movie really is a masterful film mm-hmm. because there are scenes in it, like the scenes with the mom where she's playing with the little boy and right. they're riding the bicycles and stuff. It's really endearing things. Yeah. And it's not parody. It's not mockery. It's like right. truly a celebration of life. Right, right. right. And her teaching him these very, mm-hmm. you know, good lessons right. and like kind of thoughtful things yeah. and and teaching him how Nazism isn't great, right. even though he's been brainwashed, brainwashed. you know. Right. Um, well, and in that way, let's go, like following on like a Shakespearean kind of tack with how this movie is structured and, and the things in it. There's a whole school of thought, you know, that Shakespeare's early works, you know, were his comedies and some of these like uh, history plays, yeah, or Twelfth Night, or some of the history plays, or some of these other, some of these others, and then the tragedy, basically the com- the things that are really straight up comedy, straight up tragedy, like right. the Romeo and Juliets or some of these, and then you get into the middle period, which is more the history plays, but but then that as you get to later in Shakespeare's works, you get to um, things like uh, a Winter's Tale. Cymbeline and The Tempest, which don't fall into either of those categories cleanly. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have tragic elements. People die. There's you know echoes of both of those genres in them. It's kind of but they also of have a wedding or they right. have the marriage at the end. Mm-hmm. And though that's where the term or the romances comes from. Like they said, these are not comedies or tragedies. They're romances. And in a way, this film actually does that. Yeah, it, it, it is a, or a, tra- a tragic comedy, right? The it other has, it has comedy, it. it has tragedy, but it's at the end, <laughs> it's a lot more complex. It's hopeful than yeah, yeah, what and, a and straight up comedy would be. And that to me is is a very interesting question because another comparison, um, other than Shakespeare, um, uh, is uh, Evil and Waugh, mm-hmm. um, the great. Catholic novelist of the 20th century wrote Brideshead Revisited, mm-hmm. um, and but was mainly known for his comedies. Right. Um, and these comedies are a lot of times laugh out loud funny, and but can go very dark. So, you know, uh, there's one... <laughs> There's one book, and if if you go and buy it, it's called Decline and Fall, and it's about this. I think I might have mentioned it on the podcast before. It's about a young man who's at Oxford, and he's just a total vanilla type guy. You know, just the most, like, has nothing going for him. He just follows all the rules. And one day, he's uh, out walking in the green after after dark, after curfew, and minding his own business, and a drunken party 
of Oxford students comes by and strips him naked and like leaves him on the green. And then the Oxford uh, police and authorities <laughs> kick him out of Oxford for <laughs> indecent exposure. So it's like, that's a classic example of a law situation. Like his whole books are full of these situations where some poor schmuck, mm-hmm. you know, is victimized and then he's blamed for the thing that he didn't do. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's all played for laughs. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's a kind of seriousness to it and situations escalate. So, you know, it starts off as a funny, it starts out as funny. Story. And then you realize like you're laughing at something that's really heavy. And then you stop laughing and you go, wait a minute, what's going on here? So Waugh almost takes humor to a breaking point purposefully to try to teach you that the thing you're laughing at is actually serious. Um, so it, so it's an interesting approach to humor because it, it almost subverts humor. Mm-hmm. And this movie, I feel like, almost does that same thing. It almost subverts the humor that it starts out with so that by the end, you know, Hitler goes from being this hilarious character that you are just... I mean, I was almost rolling on the floor. The writing is so funny and so good that at the end he's a he's a villain, you know, and and, which Which, is what he is. For me, is the is the is the key because to be perfectly honest, when this when I first heard about this movie and saw the well, I I hadn't even seen the trailer yet, but when I first heard about it, I immediately was turned off. I didn't I didn't even like the idea of Mm -hmm. World War Two and Hitler being comedic like that just didn't sound right to me yeah and it it was which is why it took me so long to actually research it more because it started getting a lot of when it was first released didn't even pay attention but then it just really became more and more popular and then finally the best picture nomination and i was like okay so i i researched it some more and then and found out that that wasn't really the case and that's for me i think is kind of what ties it all together at the end hitler wasn't the friend and mentor that he set up to be in the beginning, he's later revealed to be the evil that he is. Right. Well, that's how it shows you the child view of Hitler. Right. And it says the child becomes less and less a Nazi. Right, right, right. Hitler becomes more and more of a villain because of the child's perspective. Well, also his his maturity, because at the beginning, what does it say? It's like, we're going to teach you how to become men. Mm-hmm. By by blindly following Hitler, right, right. and really, as he's growing up and learning and maturing, he's not be, he's becoming a man not by blindly following, but by realizing that this is wrong, this is mm-hmm. evil, yeah. and I'm going to choose not to. I'm going to follow gonna, in well, this. Well, well, hold on, I want to okay. throw out a, Drill a question real quick because I think I, I think all we're saying is real good. So, anti-Semitism today is on the rise, right? It's all over the news, right? It's, Which, by the way, incidents uh, context, in Germany, yeah. Taika Waititi is <clears throat> Jewish on his mom's side, which mm-hmm. gives some context to this. I also did not know that before. Mm-hmm. And so when I yeah. when I heard that, I was like, okay, yeah. that, that makes sense. And there are a couple of moments in this movie that are really great moments celebrating Jewishness. Yeah, like there are a couple of couple of moments. But but the movie is also full of anti-Semitic parody, right? Parodies of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. You know. I, w- I, w- goes I wouldn't into- even say parodies of it. I would say the actual thing, but in a comedic a- way. Exaggerated <laughs> you know, for comedic yeah. effect yeah, yeah, yeah. would be the way to put it. But like JoJo goes in 
and confronts the Jewish girl living in his uh, attic and says, you know, I want to know everything about your kind. And she says, all right, the first thing you need to know is we're just like you only human. <laughs> you know? But but by the end, you know, he has like a little book of like yeah. the Jews are like bats and they live in the underground. Which and, there and is some the, weird like, stuff that like they were trying the to... The Nazi propaganda <laughs> yeah. what is... It is mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. How, the things how that they tried to get people to believe right. that yeah. they were actual. So they some actually, of that is not very far off from reality. So there's a lot of situations that can be brought up as as proof of this that there's more anti-Semitism in our world, and at the same time, um, there is a sense watching the movie that, and I thought this several times. If I was Jewish, would I? Think, I that too. Would I would I la- be laughing? You know, would right. I think that all of these caricatures of Jewish people, you mm-hmm. know, that were bats and were were living in the underworld and and right. and they're so ridiculous, right. right? That they should be laughed at, right? Laughter is appropriate, an appropriate healthy response to these things yeah. because it is ridiculous. And I guess the question is, does the fact that some people actually believe this stuff make it not funny? Or does it make it more important for it to be funny? Well, I'm going to maybe flip that a little bit because I had a similar question. But I, I was thinking of it more from the perspective of if what does this movie do for or how does a modern day, like one of these Nazi sympathizers mm-hmm. of modern day, see this movie? Yeah. Um, like, I think, and I don't know how really how much he is, but like Prince Harry wearing a swastika armband, right? Which he did, yeah. You know that kind of a Recently? sentiment, yeah. In like like the last few years, yeah. Um, you know, you see pictures like that, and there's this weird, like, kind of creepy resurgence of like Nazi sympathy yeah. in Europe. And, well, even and, a couple of years ago, what what was it in Virginia where all those riots or wherever that was, like the white supremacist. Yeah, thing. I man. right. I literally pulled up the the news and just saw the headline of like like Nazi flags way, waving and then saw where it was and I'm like, wait what? Yeah, <laughs> it's know? really it's really bizarre. And so anyway, I was thinking, well, what would like do those people watch this? Does it bolster them? Yeah. Like, do they? I don't know. Like, how would they view it? How would they read? Well, it? Well, like my gut would be what to say to that? that if you encountered somebody who was you know, wearing swastika armband, they, number one, know that it's edgy and rebellious or whatever, and that's why they're doing it. Right, right. So, um, if you say, oh, that is so wrong, and you have no idea what you're doing, you're just feeding into yeah, the they whole know exactly dynamic. They know exactly what they're doing. Right. But if you mock it and belittle it, then that kind of breaks the cycle. So, to me, an example like that would argue for the second viewpoint. It would say... It's important to laugh at these things. It's important right. to mock them and make them nothing. On the other hand, you have just the gravity of... Nine million Jews. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you just have the Six gravity million, of that yeah. event and the fact that it was produced by this sort of anti-Semitism. Can it ever right. be appropriate? To- right, can, exactly. can it Can it ever be appropriate? Now, to be fair, like this movie never makes fun of anything like gas chambers or like it, it right. never takes anything that is and he's explicitly never, connected to the Holocaust. Which makes sense actually because, I mean, and a lot of people don't know this. I mean, even Auschwitz, that was such a deeply held secret. Yeah. 
A lot of people don't know that people don't even know. Like people think it's like so famous now. We didn't like the U S didn't know. Yeah. There are, it was a very, very closely held secret. Although even, even like Auschwitz was a, was a privately owned camp that was owned by a corporation that had offices operating in New Jersey throughout the war. IG Farben, you can look it up. Um, and I mean, just mind blowing yeah. stuff. No, it but was very. Germans secret, didn't know yeah. about it. I mean, there. I'm sure in the intelligence world, there must have been rumors or people. Like, but we did not know. Yeah. Until way yeah. afterward. Well, and, really and, and the legend now, of course, is that we stormed in to save the Jews, right? Like that's kind of the way I think a lot of people probably think of the war, right? right. And it, we had no and then idea. You found and it's not really true. Truman happened. Truman. I mean, they we took you know we beat Germany, and then they were like, oh no. We have five million Jews. What do we do with them? You know, that's actually, and that's that's why Israel exists today because they said, "Well, let's give them back that land where they came from." Well, and also, they, they shipped some, them off. Yeah, I mean, that's mm-hmm. really what happened. But reading accounts but of American soldiers when they first like retook places like Auschwitz and and some of the other concentration camps are absolutely devastating because they had mm-hmm. no idea what they were walking into. Oh, wow. They had yeah. no idea that mm-hmm. they had stumbled upon this mm-hmm. death camp. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it was literally, it was an economic experiment is how they termed it. But using an economic experiment of what happened if you considered humans as an expendable resource. Right. And to the, if you go there, which which I have been there and been in the museum, Mm -hmm. there's, there's this whole, I, oh man, I don't I hate talking about it because they literally would go through and show you what some of these Nazi scientists were doing. Mm-hmm. And they were basically experimenting with ways to take the bodies of the Jews and use them for household items. Right. Hey, Lampshades made of human hair. Uh, it, well, of skin. They, they ground the, lamp. The, both in bones and teeth down. Yep. To uh, uses their fat as um, soap. soap. Like, yeah. A, That's what I mean. Literally using humans as an expendable resource. Right. right. And you don't think about what that means. But right. Yeah, like yeah. every part so, of it. Well, and, and that's where so you get to this odd combination where the reality is so fantastical. It, it literally is like fairy tale it ogres. It sounds that evil. It, it's like yeah. it's like telling about an ogre's palace where mm-hmm. you know children, children line the walls and right. you know like it's stuff that you just make up. It's real. Like, you know, yeah, like you right. think that it it's you a, think oh well this humor it's like it's so out there or you think oh the tra-, it's like you get to when you get to the limits of human experience, the most extreme evil, yeah. the most extreme good. It's fairy tale is the only language we have to even right. talk about it. Yeah, exactly, and that's why really. I that's the approach I think this movie was taking. Uh-huh. Because how uh, how else do you do you share in a palatable way the complete and utter brainwashing of ten year old children to believe that Jews are being controlled by the devil. That they have horns, that, right? You know, all like all how do you stuff. how do you approach that topic? Well, I mean, know? I mean, take it to today. You know, we we had the kind of life changing experience of visiting North Korea once. Yeah. You know, and oh, yeah. well, you know, you go around if you go into North Korea, which we went at our own expense, and we're not we were not paid money by the North Korean government. Just uh, MSNBC actually called about asking about that um, at the time, but we. You know, you're walking down the street in Pyongyang, Pyongyang, and there's a billboard with like an American GI helmet being crushed into the dirt under Korean boot. Literally, just in the city. That's just around. 
and then they have in their nurseries and their schools for children they have american boogeymen who are dressed like giant uh red bearded celtic looking doctors with well, lab it's, coats it's not american soldiers it's missionaries Oh, they call them American missionaries, right? Yeah, it's, oh, wow. it's, it's, and they, it's Christian missionaries. Christian missionaries from America, and they have these lab doctor coats yeah. with babies' part, body parts. Oh, my god! Like hanging out of the pockets. Like they're going to come eat you up or wow. cut you up. I mean, that's... The idea being that if a missionary ever did arrive in North Korea, he they're would gonna, be murdered. Right? Yeah, don't kill... Right, right. Because right. he'd be a and, this, and this is what they are telling, which right. is not... It's basically what the Nazis were doing. Right. You know. I'd be really curious to see the feelings of maybe even some people who's ancestors died or survived mm-hmm. the Holocaust. I would be really interesting to see yeah. how that, how they felt, you know, if it felt, if it felt disrespectful or if it felt like it was a, a, a new way to kind of share, you know, the right. tragedies of what happened during that time. Right. Alex, Ben, what was the moral of the story for Jojo rabbit? Oh gosh. You know, the thing, uh, well, first of all, we haven't mentioned this, you know, little little language warning with this film. There were several moments that were just, there was some needless profanity. Um, but really, I think the moment, the, the theme that stuck out to me, and we haven't discussed this very much, there's a theme from the mother mm-hmm. where, uh, in the scene where they're standing in front of the corpses of the people who've been publicly hung. And he says, what did they do? And she says, um, they did what they could. You know, um, such good writing in this movie. I mean, I, I really was blown away. Just all the wonderful turns of phrases that the uh, director came up with. But they did what they could. And throughout the movie, the mom, she's obvious. She's like, it turns out that she's handing out pamphlets, you know, that are against the Nazi regime. And um, Jojo, you know, at first he's, quote, trying to be a good Nazi. But by the end, he's doing what he can to save the girl. You know, the girl at one point has a conversation with the mom where she's just like, I'm not even living. I'm just literally living in this hole in your wall, you know, and the mom says, you know, you're, you're surviving. You're another, you're doing what you can. And I think that's actually a really poignant thought because in our own lives, I know this is true for me, you can live with outsized expectations of your daily life. And you can live with a sense of being kind of a pygmy, um, being blown about by these massive historical forces that you can't control and you can't even stand up to them, you know. And in a way, all of us are kind of in that position. Yeah, there are a handful of people, the Hitlers of the world, you know, the the leaders of the world who have this responsibility, you know, to to maybe shift history's course a little bit. But even if you read history enough, you know that nine times out of 10, even that's kind of an illusion. You know, a lot of times you have just these tidal waves of people and movements. And yeah, even leaders, you know, can be pivotal, but only if there's already a momentum from the grassroots toward a given end. Um, You know, you think about- Hitler without the brown shirts- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And well, and and even I think you can, you know, Hitler in a way, they're all res- responding to a zeitgeist, to spirit of the age. You know, uh, one of, to me, one of the most interesting things about history is the way that eras tend to produce people who do embody a zeitgeist. Like in the 1800s, what was the American zeitgeist? It was, you know, the 
backwoodsman who educates himself and works hard and learns, you know, the Bible and the law, and he rises to lead his own people, and his name is Abraham Lincoln. And wait a minute, like, was Abraham Lincoln a myth? Is he a legend? Is he a real man? Mm-hmm. He's all of it, yeah. right? Because it's like the legend was written before he even lived, in a way. he The reason he, he even lived is because he lived the legend that was being told at the time about what America could be and who the ideal American was. And Hitler lived a legend, too. And that's just this weird cause and effect mystery of, of world history. But um, the basic idea of this movie is saying small acts of heroism are big. You know, they seem small, but they're really big. And I think that that was a really good message. Yeah, it's it's um it's interesting the movie of, of this um, I guess with this depth of irony that is so integral to the storytelling um, that you can't. It's hard to say like you know what is the message of it because really the the message in some ways are are the message is the tragedy of loss is in some way what I see is the message of the film. Um, and that, you know, something that is the idea that something that is so patently ridiculous as a man from prison, writing a book and rising to national power and telling everyone, Oh, this minority group, uh, you know, is, the reason our our nation's failing and we're going to kill them all and starting this entire mythology of of nazism and the the idea of that of the aryan race and all this stuff which if you ever look into is just i mean it's so absurd mm-hmm. you know full of of like relying on like wagnerian mythological ideas and this like made up name for God and call and all this stuff that just, when you look back on it, you just think, how in the world did this even happen? Mm-hmm. Um, but the I main, in a way there's nothing more tragic than a boy losing his mother, mm-hmm. you know, like in the mind of the individual. You know, it's kind of like the quote that I don't know if it's true or not, but the famous quote from Stalin that one death is a tragedy, a million is just a, a statistic. You know, you that is a real factor when you look at something like World War II and you try to grapple with the tragedy of the millions of lives and, and everything that happened around the world, um, you know, the Holocaust and all of those things. Um, but at the end of the day, it's almost the most poignant when you – when you just say, what does it mean for a 10 year old boy to be left without parents, you know, and try to make it through life, you know, and, and the film has a hopeful message at the end, you know, because we're free to dance, you know, but I think the, the moral, I mean, that's, those are some reflections. I think my moral takeaway is just the, the power of ideas to shape people and shape their actions. And that's where I think it, um, it's easy to look back, you know, now almost a hundred years ago and say, oh, those people, I can't believe they believe that, you know, and you, and you kind of can, 
throw throw their ignorance under the bus and and uh, you know kind of be put yourself above it in a way but in another way a lot of the ideas that led them to that behavior are still believed by millions of people today yeah i mean these things don't history repeats itself these things don't just go away because the nazis lost the war mm-hmm. you know these things have been around for forever and they'll be around for forever it's just who's in power at the time Mm-hmm. that you're living. And you know? so, and, and I, I say that when you look at, you know, suicide today, yeah. you see, we still send kids to school and teach them that they're a monkey. Yeah. You know, and sure. Evolutionary biology, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's fine. But there's still no evidence that we actually came from monkeys. Yeah. You know, and you know, so far there's no sign that they're ever going to find that evidence, but yet right. we still tell people right. that we're the product of chance mm-hmm. that, the soul doesn't exist. And that is, it's just not tenable. Well, you it, know, the idea that yeah. they say we can't scientifically measure the spirit or the soul or that right. we don't know it exists is not a defensible position. Well, and what's so, what's so tragic about that is that you can say that and, you know, logically it doesn't make sense. But in a way, in saying that, you're saying, well, then the six million Jews that died in the Holocaust and everyone who's died as a result of mass execution and genocide. So what? Oh, well, they're just, you know, some evolved monkeys. We don't really care. We're just, you know, higher in the food chain. And that's, what's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. Because in saying that you're saying, well, that those, those souls and those lives meant nothing because Mm -hmm. they really are just animals. I think part of the question with this film morally and i'll be interested to hear what your moral is luke but it comes back to is humor corrosive to tyranny and evil and it, and ultimately is it a good thing to laugh at yeah somebody like hitler yeah and i think you have to say yes yeah. i think you have to say that there is a power that humor has right to empty these self-important humans who put themselves in the place of God. Right. That it's actually virtuous to laugh at them mm-hmm. in some sense. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if this movie, if everything that was funny in this movie, you know, maybe there were lines that were crossed, but I think the essential idea of laughing at Hitler, yeah. that's a great idea. Yeah. You know. Well, and just to continue that, I mean, yeah, I would agree with that because even looking back at the movie it made my opinion of Hitler just a little bit smaller. You mm-hmm. know, seeing Hitler as an immature, childish 10-year-old. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it just makes you, it just puts in your mind the the smallness and the, the uh, what not a man he was. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's a small subconscious thing, but it's still there, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would, I would agree with you, Ben. I think that that's a, um, I think that's a good thing, you know, to, to be able to make small the things that are made big through evil deeds, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, another takeaway that I had was just, man, the power of educating the youth, you know, that was a big thing Hitler was, was spearheading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we can get the youth, this can continue. Right, right. Because our men are going to go, they're going to fight, they're going to die. And if we do not pass that on to our youth, this will die with us. And he knew that. Mm -hmm. And that is why he was 
setting up those camps for those children and indoctrinating them and yeah. sending them into war and developing that, uh, you know, loyalty to the land, the fatherland, like that's why. And, you know, that rings true today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we are passing along to the people, it's such a cliche to be like, yeah, the, you know, the children are the future. And I believe blah, the blah, children blah. are a future. Yeah, but it's like, it's like, isn't that a song? The Jack Black. But, yeah, but hey, <laughs> They are, and we don't take that seriously enough. No, we don't. We don't. We do not take that seriously enough. You know, and it just goes to show you how impressionable the mind of a, an innocent, the mind of a child is. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. child, you know, they, they, she says it, the, um, oh, what was her name? The Elsa? Was that her name? Uh, the uh, the Jewish? Yeah. No, the Jewish girl. Oh, uh, the Jewish girl. girl. The, yeah, hiding. Uh, she said, name is Elsa. Elsa. Yeah, yeah, she said, you're not a Nazi. You're just a 10-year-old boy who wants to be a part of a club and wear a fun uniform. Yeah. That yeah. is 100% true. Yeah. yeah. And it's, what are you attaching to that uniform in that club? Mm-hmm. Because that's what's going to, you know, lead into the next generation. So that was, you know, that was something that, again, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, I had never really seen personally in a story or a movie mm-hmm. that side of the Nazis that they were going after the youth. Mm-hmm. They were going after the next generation because Hitler knew that if we could get them, this could continue. Check out that link in the description below. It really supports the show. If everyone goes and signs up for that, you get a free audiobook. It helps us out, keeps this uh, train rolling. And um, yeah, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and share it with your friends family and enemies. And I think we are going to continue um, for a couple more weeks the Best Picture nomination trend. Stay tuned. Till next time. Signing off. The Moral of the Story with Alex Wolliver, Luke Taylor, and Benjamin Wolliver. Please subscribe to The Moral of the Story on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen. Visit moralofthestorypodcast.com Copyright 2020 Moral of the Story Media.